Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Trifter Sympathy on Feral Audio. To support this podcast and hear more of Emil's music, go to holysons.bandcamp.com. You know, up until you're, say, towards 13, I don't know that you actually really know what depression is. You probably would have no idea what someone was talking about. Most of life is like you're a slave to your parents. They tell you what to do, where to go, what to look at. And then if you're not allowed to do what you want to do, you're sad. But then at one point, you face a new frontier at school. Maybe you go off to junior high and you get to redefine yourself and invent who you are, instead of being like tied to all the baggage of first grade all the way to sixth grade, seventh grade, you get a clean slate, and then maybe a new frontier of introspection begins after you've tried to design yourself. The whole concept of designing yourself is a fascinating opportunity. Sure. You can get away with so much for a certain amount of time, and then... There's like something to that where when you're that age, I don't know if you had this, you know, you just hang out with your friends and you're not super self-conscious. And then like you realize like you're like, oh, I'm not cool. Like I thought I thought we were all friends, but like all of a sudden I'm on the outside. And then you realize as you get older, you're like, oh, that never goes away. You know what I learned today, actually? Nostalgia. Got my therapist. The etymology of it? Yeah. And oh, great. Has your therapist been listening to our podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely not. This has come up in my therapy two weeks in a row. The etymology of nostalgia is nostos means to return home, and algos means pain. And then in German, it translates as homesickness. It's from the late 18th century. I don't know how they existed without that word before. I'm sure it was like... <laughs> Nostalgia didn't exist. The, the Russians and the Germans had hundreds of words for it. Yeah. But, uh, but it says that it was essentially means acute homesickness. 
that sounds like a word that basically would have come out of like war. You kind of nailed it when you said this was the beginning of me realizing I might be pushed to the outside. You're looking in the mirror as a different person the next day. And like you said, maybe this will never go away. Right. I think that that the click thing, I think it doesn't go away. I remember like five or six years ago, my grandma like said the craziest thing to me. She was like in her 90s. And, you know, a lot of her friends were dying. She was living in a nursing home. And I was like, oh, what do you hang out with, like, whatever, like the 80-year-olds? And she was like, they won't hang out with me. Like, it's not cool to hang out with a 90-year-old if you're in your 80s. That's bullshit. You can be, like, that old. Like, it's, it's that same bullshit. People in their 80s can't admit that they might need a walker. I guess. Or, like, yeah, I guess it's, like, sort of crushing to me because I was like, oh, this fucking bullshit never ends. It never ends. That seventh grade school switchover was so crucial to my confidence level. (laughs) I got voted most radical in high school. Most radical person in my class. That's definitely not changed. (laughs) (laughs) A summertime when you're like 12 is a massive amount of time. So I suppose you do a lot of changing in that, that amount of time. Three months? That's like three years or more. To right. an older person. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a very long time. And so I guess you, you have a lot of time to strategize. I was in Miami, Florida, and there's a movie theater there called The Falls. I used to go to buy my Metal Circus magazines there. Okay. Why I bought the magazines, I don't know. They represented something like taboo or something dark and strange. You know, like Blackie Lawless on the cover. Right. I mean, that's just like, that's such a dope name. You're going to want to... He was was in Wasp. He was in Wasp. Yeah. It's just something that's just like dark and villainous, you know? I remember like first seeing like a hair metal video and just being so repulsed. Like I was so young. You know that feeling? Yeah, yeah. And then next year, you're like, this is my shit. (laughs) (laughs) I go down there, buy my metal magazines... Behind the theater, they had, like, these waterfalls, and you throw your coins off the bridge into the fake fountain water. I don't know if I was using hairspray yet, but, like, you know, I had that look from whatever, 1987. (laughs) I remember standing at the lip of this bridge with my, like, hairspray in my hair, I think, and, like, some, like, khakis that were too big, flipping the penny into the water, and sincerely... Maybe even putting my hands together, sincerely saying, God, um, this year, the school, school year's coming up. <laughs> the purity of the thought. I just think it's funny, like, you have to, like, explain the context to God. Like, God's like, yeah, man, I'm familiar with the school schedule. <laughs> my ego was so wildly self-centered. I thought someone's got to be watching this movie, the movie of my life. Right. I stood there at the like flipped the penny in and said, "God, the school year's coming up. Seventh grade's starting. I'm going to need some help to get in with the girls." I think probably pretty wholeheartedly thinking this 
penny would probably pay off, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fantastic investment if it pays off. I was the first kid in my junior high school to get two earrings. I would probably say George Michael must have been why I thought I could do that. Yeah. I remember growing up and always that faith video was always on MTV. He was like the coolest looking guy. Yeah, like Aviators. someone who doesn't shave all the way, yeah, like Magnum yeah. P.I. That's yeah. like dope looking. You're kind of shadowy detective or something. Totally. This is actually more humiliating for me to say than if I was actually saying something truly embarrassing. Okay. But when I got to seventh grade, I had some weird record number of girlfriends for the first uh, semester. Okay. I had like uh, eight or nine. Nice. This isn't a matter of weeks, I want to clarify. And then for the second semester, I don't remember having a single girlfriend. So what I'm trying to illustrate here for you, Jonah, is that when you're the new kid, it's like you're an actor. You know, people can paint anything on you. They could just imagine that you're the perfect person. And then eventually, you know, that completely disintegrates. To clarify, when you dated someone in seventh grade, you often didn't ever really meet them. Yeah, or interact with them. Or know them. Yeah. It was like a status exchange, right? (laughs) See, you think this podcast is worthless, and then bam. (laughs) And then they would break up with you without ever having even met you. Yeah. Like your time had expired, but you didn't know why. I guess you're trying to emulate what you think a relationship is like without any sort of, like, sex or intimacy or, like, emotional connection. Like, I should pair up with someone. That guy looks good. He's got two earrings. I remember being shocked when one of the girls actually did want to kiss. I was like, oh, shit. I didn't know I'd signed up for this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And she did a bizarre mating ritual I'd like to tell you about. I would love to hear about it. I can't even remember her name, but she had a wingman named Keisha. (laughs) Classic Keisha. Yeah, I know. I might have been like going to the the bus circle or something to go home and Keisha held out her hand and she was like, I have to give you something. And she drops into my hand a a pair of sort of used looking black panties. I remember holding them up and not even knowing how they even like fit on a person or feeling like I now possess some kind of contraband and I hid it in my locker. I remember just, you know, it's like a dead body in a bad dream. You're like, Oh God, that's there right in the corner of my locker. What am I going to do with it? I knew then and there that like, this is, I feel like this was the eighth girl I dated all the other ones I never met. But this girl Yeah, she sounds pretty freaky actually, like, she, she meant business And I was disturbed by that somehow I would love to hear the conversation between her and Keisha Like, hey, can you do me a favor? Like, what? Like, can you give these panties the email for me? I'm embarrassed to do it myself But I definitely would think he should have these I think they got filed away in, like, a box That I put things that I didn't just want my mom to know about you know like probably other letters and things that just seemed off color right i have this video that got unearthed recently of of me being interviewed by my mom when i'm five 
you know, I am not a very emotional person, I don't think, just in general. I just, You're cold. I just don't feel. And I watch this video for the first time and have not seen very much footage of me as a child. Like, I've seen some photos, but I had never... I don't think I had ever seen myself at that age, what I looked like or acted like. And I saw this video, and I just started bawling. And I didn't feel sad, but I think it's like, to sort of bring it back to what we're talking about, the nostalgia and how part of its pain, it was like just seeing like that like blank slate. It was just like something about it was just like so gut-wrenching. I hadn't thought about that person so long. That's a different person. And it's me, but it's also not me. And it's like I hadn't identified with that person. I hadn't, I'd never had seen it. And it's just seeing it actually, it's, it was fucking, it blew my mind. We should look into the etymology of deja vu or something. It's like familiar, but not familiar. It's like familiar, but like distant. It's almost like a chromosomal, like, um, flashback. It reminds me of the mythological, like, ghost of the future visiting you and taking you back through your life. When we started the podcast, I was telling a friend about, you know, it's about stories, shit you go through when you're young. And, and I remember him kind of, like, looking off in the distance, like, uncovering buried memories I could see in his eyes. He was like... You know, my dad used to do something really weird. You know, we'd had some drinks, maybe a few moon rocks. You yeah, know. an apple teeny. He started telling me a couple stories, and like I remember being just like, almost like horrified that everyone has stuff lodged deep in their brain about early memories that might be worthy of like the weirdest movie you've ever seen. You know, I mean, like. He, he just kind of like randomly tossed off that every night he would wake up and in the dark he would see his father sitting in a chair staring right at him just watching him and just waiting the way he said it this is like years and years of his father not sleeping as he's telling me the story you can see him realizing why he is the way he is in so many ways. Like you could visually see him unfurling these knots in his brain. If nostalgia's etymology is, you know, homesickness, there's got to be another word for the therapeutic practice of turning that homesickness into something of practical value. I saw this guy for a while who was like an inner child hypnosis guy. And so he would try to hypnotize me and then have me hang out with like, like go to this place he like constructed. Like it was like this room and it was like all these details and we would meet there. As I'm telling the story, I'm like, this sounds so crazy, but this was just like what I did on Tuesdays with this guy over Skype. And I would go in this room and there were, and I would meet with like the younger version of me. And basically the whole premise was like, you know, people have so much shit tied up with this stuff that they don't address or they just ignore. And all you have to do is like give that, that person is still inside of you. 
And the whole idea was like, you basically like go comfort this younger version of yourself. Like you find him and you get as many details as you can remember from that era of your life. And then you sort of tell that version of yourself, like, it's okay. You're okay. I did it for a while and I think I got something positive out of it. It hit a point for me where I was like, okay, like I feel like I've kind of pursued this, but there's a lot of writing about this like inner child therapy. I can also see you waking up from the hypnotization just being like, wait a minute, you just took $3,000 for nothing. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny that the eighth girlfriend was the one that actually wanted me to have the panties. That was the eighth one, dude. After that phase of experimentation, something happened. Like, everything was happening very, very fast in seventh grade. I heard Led Zeppelin in the hallway... My friends played the talent show, and I went and bought drumsticks. The next day, they saw me in the hallway. They were like, do you want to be in the band? And I was like, I'm in a band now. I've never played music, but I'm in the band. As most kids do, you learn the first uh, 10 seconds of Jump by Van Halen. The keyboardist, all he knows is... That's it. Like, not, he doesn't even, he can't finish the phrase. For me, it was uh, those first four chords of Smells Like Teen Spirit. Ooh. Not to deflate the Kurt Cobain legacy, but like, isn't Robert Smith the one that did the four notes in a row thing? Like, just like heaven or something? What about like more than a feeling or something?
in a typical developmental way. As you're becoming separate from your mother, your brain is starting to posit, oh, I have my own will, you know, I can say no, I'm two years old, whatever. As you're getting up to 12 and shit like that, and you're sort of beginning to perceive moral quandaries or, you know, like responsibility. I remember a new kind of cloud coming over me, certainly by 15. A new kind of frustration. Yeah. A new inability to focus in class. And a new kind of feeling like I'm just going to explode or something. Like something's different, you know. One of the major mechanisms of conformity is that if you're weak or if you feel somewhat worthless, you will want to assimilate into the direction of the mass. You know, people are easier to control if they doubt themselves. Sure. So if you froze somebody in sixth grade, which is basically what, you know, the ideal of the government is can we keep people children and people willingly love that shit if you could free someone there in a state of basic confusion they would have to follow a leader because they wouldn't know how to tie their fucking shoes or you could make them you could convince them that they don't know how to tie their shoes or they'll never learn more than ever people are frozen in that state of confusion now I swear to God, I cannot remember why I started skateboarding. When I was skateboarding and other little kids saw me in the neighborhood or friends of our family, they started skateboarding and they cut themselves in the mold of whatever they imagined this older kid being a part of. Maybe it represents independence. It's one of the first things that comes along where you're not on a team. There's no coach. There's no rules. There's no time schedule. It's all decided by you. And your style and your technique is decided by you. So it's one of the most amazing ways to train your mind. It, it Like, certainly, those tenants stay with you in all the things you do for the rest of your life. If your mind is 99% focused on Steve Caballero, then you're less likely to just become another kid with a Kathy Ireland poster on your wall, dreaming of having a Corvette and wanting to be Ricky Schroeder. It's just like that typical mainstream dream all of a sudden starts to look really uninteresting to you. So there's a chance for intellectualization there. the leading lights, like the people that really take away what a movement means, what it really means, not what it just looks like or sounds like, are the people that pave the true way forward for a whole new cultural way of living. I think that's how you get Nia Mackay, in the sense that like skateboarding, just to, just to provide an example, sure. it, it's like, it's really highly focused on functionality. Because you're doing something that's extremely difficult. And dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's <a> very dangerous. <laughs> There's not a lot of room to employ things that aren't useful. It's like function before fashion. I was never really a skater, but I kind of pretended to be one. I respect that. 
I think one of the things about Fugazi, whether or not people uh, ever were attracted to it or not, it doesn't matter. One of the things about Fugazi that was so attractive is like they basically whittled everything down to such a simple form. They did everything without ornamentation, obviously. You know, they didn't want a light show. They just turned the lights on, the house lights on. These are radical ideas when you're surrounded by total fucking idiocy. You know, so this, this, what is not radical initially becomes radical when you're surrounded by just rampant wild consumerism, right? Right. Just not having a light show is somehow a militant move. Or charging $5. Yeah. Just to say to people, you know what? I'm not really that concerned with money is a radical thing to say to people. Yeah. Fashion-wise, I think that there's an argument to say that a lot of that was pulled from early skateboarding. Imakai is like an early skateboarder from the late 70s who's, who's basically looking at Dogtown and dudes that would not have any patience, no tolerance for you accessorizing yourself. You know what I mean? They would rip you down and just fry you if you didn't just perform well. It's almost militant. It's just like you only wear what you need. That kind of like furnace of judgment, the whole hardcore Parthenon, the whole, the entire structure of it was built up from this kind of value system. There's going to be an intellectual aspect to this music. And that's what all of a sudden I got hyped on. I was like, whoa, these older kids are deep. Right. Like, this isn't just fucking, like you said, more than a feeling. The people that rise up from a cult movement and actually pave this new road, somebody has to rise up that gets the gist, that gets the point of a movement. Everybody else can just not know anything. Everybody else can just conform to it. But somebody has to get the point. Looking at the end of the 70s into the 80s, the culture was like, had spun out of the 60s into aimless hedonism. You know, punk came to give some shape to things. Thinking about a seventh grader's brain that's kind of crashing through the the intersections of all this stuff and then getting politicized by leaders in these movements that actually are saying concrete things that actually mean something. I mean, you know, yeah, I had the George Michael fucking earrings, but a year later, I'm listening to In My Eyes.
for some reason I bought my first skateboard and then that led to the skateboard videos and then is a particular contest that is notorious among like super heads of that time but it was called Savannah Slamma Our story begins deep in the south a land steeped in tradition a land where people are so relaxed that sometimes things only get half done like half a bridge half a car half a sign And now, please welcome from around the globe, the greatest skaters in the world. This is the Savannah Slamma. If Caballero or somebody like drops in for the Savannah Slamma run to be judged and Dinosaur Jr. kicks in 1987 with Peter Frampton's Show Me the Way. You know, I'm watching on like a grainy VHS that I've somehow acquired <laughs> like through the underground tape railroad. And immediately I'm like, this is the worst singing I've ever heard in my life. Like, I don't know how someone even managed to sing like this. It's an incredible feat. probably almost wanted to turn the tape off or maybe I turned、right. the volume down but then you pull away from the TV and you go out skating and you're like why would someone do that you know you start to you start to become morbidly curious like what the fuck was that like it made me feel kind of nauseous and these are the moments where you're like brain gets expanded because a wrench just drove a wedge into it It just starts to worm its way inside of you. You're like, I want to hear that song again. At some point, you, you assimilate, but not of your own will. It's like you're falling in love, but you don't know if you want to. There's something very magical about that experience, as opposed to something that's designed for you to like. Right. Right. So you kind of like, you find something inadvertently. And it teaches you something you maybe didn't even want to know. In the 80s, you owned like three tapes for like six years. Right. So you marinated in anything that you may have not even wanted to marinate in. And I think waking up in a subculture that you weren't looking for is a really powerful moment. I mean, it, like waking up at the Jim Jones Kool Aid party, it, it, it's the same kind of thing. You know, there's tenants to the cult, and there's reasons why you decide to put away everything you are supposed to gain by following the mainstream. 
And then you're like, no, fuck it. It's a curious impulse. Because you also feel like you're rebelling against everything, but you're kind of just joining this new thing where you're conforming to in a way. You're entering into a new haze, a whole new cloud of assimilation. Each particular choice, each doorway holds what is perceived as a solution to something. You know, boredom is one of the great equations that we, like, seek to solve. Historically, sex was a big part of why people joined cults. Or started cults. (laughs) That's true. There's, like, specific uh, cults that are really famous for it, but they had their missionaries were essentially, like really hot girls that they would dangle out in uh, kind of public gathering places and and real guys back in. Yeah. Yeah, obviously there was no hot girls guiding guys into skateboarding, but like... (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine if there were? Skateboarding would have been so much more popular. That's what it's like now. Yeah, that is probably what it's like now. So from hearing like the, the Peter Frampton cover, I guess I got the first record was called Dinosaur. And then I was presented with a kind of issue, a new frontier in that. Now I possess this record that is going in internal directions that no other record I own wants to go in. Everything in hardcore and skateboarding is all like really externally based. You know, everything is about being tough, heavily masculine kind of persona. And all of a sudden, one record is put in your lap, and it's, like, extremely feminine. The entire, like, impulse of rock music is about showing off. So here comes this thing that's about immolating itself, burning itself alive in front of you, and saying, why don't you like it? It's caving in on itself. It wants to talk about its flaws, the things that are wrong with it. There's only a few characters that rise up in our culture that point you inside yourself. Not many things seduce you into being ruthlessly honest. So I think once you encounter something that's like pushing you backwards inside instead of asking you to keep refining your appearance towards other people, a radical shift can happen to your brain. For a kid who's going along and joining their first band because they hear Led Zeppelin and they see kids on a stage and they see girls screaming, for something to come along and not really want to be liked, you know, right? that's a distinct disturbingly new horizon just got opened up. That's a whole new predicament. 
If you get hooked on that, if you actually want to figure that out, if you fall into the drug of wondering why somebody would do that, then it's almost impossible to go back to what everybody else wants. What everybody else wants starts to seem completely impractical. I mean, by the time I met my guru and we were both in the deep cult of Sebado, we would like snicker to each other. There was random college kids around us that were like getting into stereo lab and shit. And we'd just be like, why? Why did they listen to this? They heard the real thing. Like, why do they go back to all that? You know, and that's essentially like yeah. how I treated the rest of the world as I fell deeper inside the cult. I was just like, that's still how I feel about Stereo Lab. <laughs> Stereo Lab was like, you know, it represented cleanliness to me. Whereas, you know, like where I was coming from was this place of disheveledness. Right. And American punk music invented the dirtiest form of expression you could get your hands on. Anybody who was looking for a streetwise way to articulate themselves had to reach to like to some sort of punk tradition to find the right language, whether it's William Burroughs in Junkie or Lou Reed with Waiting for My Man. It's a punk tradition to bring it down to the streets, you know? Right. Sure. And clean music, the pursuit of clean music is not going to provide you with that kind of articulation. So it's a battle line. Like, there's a division in between these schools of thought, for sure. All of a sudden, instead of just, like, posturing to other people with music, where, you know, I mean, if a drum beat is really, like, captivating on the dance floor or whatever, that's all one thing. That's all just, like, how music sounds. But once you get hooked on this idea that music could mean something apart from how it sounds entirely, it could suggest ways of thinking that have nothing to do with the way it sounds, then you can't turn back. You're like, oh, I'm in a whole new universe now that probably everybody else doesn't really find much interest in. But so bringing that dinosaur record home and just sitting in my mom's living room, I remember like waiting till she would go to bed and I would just put on like this hidden song at the end that was just to me, impossibly sad and, and thinking, what is this? Like, I'm allowed to feel like this? Impossibly self-centered and I'm allowed to, like, wade in these feelings of, like, if Susie at school doesn't like you, like, you're allowed to, like, wade in the, like... Self-loathing. Yeah, the yeah. strange feeling of, like, what's wrong with me? I mean, that's obviously like such a juvenile moment of your life. Right. But that's a game changer because you're like, oh, for the first time in my life, I'm grasping the fact that art itself might be about what you're really going through instead of what you want other people to think. So immediately... You know, you're fucking 13 years old, and you're like, oh, there's two different things. There's entertainment, and there's art. There's two different things. They're differentiable. You can see them clearly now. And on the right, 
this thing is never ending. I mean, art is this open, empty canvas that I could be a part of. There's a physical limit to how good I'm going to be at skateboarding, but there's really no limit to how good I could be at art because I can start now and I can do anything I want to do. Skateboarding starts simple, starts like brutish and like physical, but the independence that is suggested within it can transform into this like higher landscape. Aristotle had an equation that basically said happiness equals self-sufficiency. It's like he's coming to the same realizations that Buddha was trying to graph out. What if in the West, since we don't even have these fucking, you know, ways of teaching people about spirituality, which you, you nail in the high school episode, you're like, why didn't they teach me anything I needed to know? What if in the West, you know, there are hidden corridors the definition of the occult literally is something hidden. So what if, you know, hidden right in front of your eyes are these corridors of spiritual training that everybody else just walks straight by? Skateboarding can teach you the tenets of independence. Hardcore can teach you the tenets of thinking for yourself. There's got to be at any time in any culture some form of leader that represents critical thinking there has to be it's like there's a balance in the universe like that you know as evil as people can be and as bad as things can get there always has to be a rebellious faction somewhere that a young person sees and can emulate until they wake up and they are the rebel <laughs> Thank you. 
It's hard just to find 